This is Humans of Non-League, a podcast about the people who live and love football outside the spotlight. My name is Chris Nee, and this week's human will be a familiar name to fans of the Isthmian League and beyond. Gavin Rose is the longest-serving manager at Dulwich Hamlet, having passed a decade in the job in 2019. A former player with Wimbledon, Charlton Athletic, QPR, Southend United and more, he guided Hamlet to promotion for the first time in 2013 and has been instrumental in the club's rise back to non-league prominence. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Listeners to my previous episodes will already know that you're a Peckham lad. Is there any yeah. particular club that enjoys more support than others in that district? I think our club outside of professional football is probably the best supported. In in most of non-league, we compare with probably the top, top uh, attendances throughout non-league, let alone locally. And obviously that's uh, been built up over the, the past years. Who's the biggest sort of professional club in terms of support in, in the area? I guess would say Crystal Palace would be the local big team, uh, which would have, probably have the biggest support. Obviously, they're doing the best in the South London teams at the moment as well, uh, in terms of how high up they are. So obviously, sometimes it does go by what team's doing really well, but I think Palace has probably got the biggest following at present. Who do you support? I support uh, Liverpool as a, as a boy. Not, ju- not just now, because they're doing quite well, but I support <laughs> Liverpool as a boy. And obviously, you'd always look out for them because that's just a habit. Um, but as you get older and you, you know, obviously trying to do well for yourselves, you, you, you probably pay less attention to, to the team that you supported as a, as a, as a boy because you're more engrossed in what you're trying to do yourself, you know. Were there Liverpool midfielders that caught your eye when you were younger? John Barnes was my sort of hero when I was young. I liked the way he played and quite a skillful player and stuff. So a lot of the boys in my estate sort of um, idolised him, really. How did you first get into playing organised football? Was that through school or a local club? Uh, organised football, yeah. I played football on the estates, which wasn't organised. And we played um, in our primary school. And I think that was probably the first time we had anything sort of structured. We played against a few other local schools. And, and then it sort of carried on from there where a few friends had played, had been playing at Sunday League teams, which I didn't know much about at the time. Um, and then got invited down and sort of carried on from there. Before we get on to management, which is where I want to focus most of our conversation, you have a very respectable CV as a player, both in league football and in non-league. Do you consider yourself to have had a successful playing career? No, not really. Um, a lot of the clubs I was attached to, professional football, was sort of my youth career. And then uh, I played a lot of non-league football uh, afterwards. And if I was being honest with myself, I don't think I really uh, realised the potential that I showed as a, as a young player. I had a, quite a few bits of injuries along the way as well. Um, so never really, I don't think, ever really got the best out of myself as a player, which kind of helped me on my journey into coaching, to be honest with you, because I sort of thought I had still had something to give to the game. And maybe that was trying to help others realise their potential or do as, you know, get as much out of them as I could. If I asked you to pin your reputation on one season or achievement as a player, what would that have been? Hard to say. I mean, obviously over the years, we've had, I've had some successful years getting promotion a few clubs I'd say there's probably individual games that I remember more so but um, I think my time at Gravesend and Northfleet where they are now known as Ebbsfleet was probably the best in terms of a group of lads a good management team and a successful period in the club's history Um, so I think that's the time that I'd remember probably the most in terms of consistently um, progressing as a player and a person but also being around a group that stretched me and the team did really well as well what style of a midfielder were you in those days? I always liked to sort of get on the ball and pass it. I could dribble as well. I wouldn't say I was one who really cared about tackles, but um, if I had to, I would. But I wasn't great at that side of the game. 
Um, probably let myself down at, at times with off the ball, but um, on the ball I was pretty comfortable on it and um, happy to to keep the team sort of ticking along and take the ball in tight areas and stuff like that. Did you get all your gaffers? Um, I think I might have been quite frustrating for a lot of my gaffers if I look back on it, to be honest with you, because yeah. um, because I think I, were, I came across quite laid back as a player. Um, my passion for football is very, very high and probably a lot of gaffers probably would never have known that until maybe years later seeing me in the dugout myself. Probably came across as someone who was quite laid back and not maybe not as interested as I probably should have been, but I was. Uh, it was just, that's just my um, outward appearance, but you know, I obviously love the game, but sometimes your body language doesn't always display what's really going on inside. So I think sometimes I might have been a little bit um, frustrating to managers I've played with. You're now an experienced manager yourself with some serious achievements under your belt. What do you think it is about your character that has made you such a good fit for that job? I think um, my uh, upbringing in, um, in and around the area I grew up in was that if you want anything, you've you got to work hard for it and you've got to earn it. Uh, no, nothing gets given to you. I never get tired of winning. Um, obviously, hate losing, but I feel like I've got um, sort of characteristics that will never get too high, never get too low, um, and always try and think about the next game rather than rest on my laurels or even get too down. Um, I think management is a it's a very uh, topsy turvy sort of a job because you can be so high one minute and so low the next, and it's about managing your emotions as much as managing players because there are times where you you know you really can feel low and there are times where you feel really high but you got to remember you got another game around the corner and I think my upbringing gave me the sort of characteristics that you know you never rest on your lows and you never get too high but you also show fight when you're in a in a in a tough situation to to get back out of it I've spoken a bit to the manager of my own club about his role as a coach in terms of developing people as well as players you've got yourself to a much higher level now would you say that you now have to develop players to be winners first and foremost, while the people are players that you bring in and expect to have looked after themselves already? It definitely changes the higher you go up the pyramid. We we now are getting players who not only have played at the level we're at at the moment, have played a, maybe at a level above, uh, have played league football, have been uh, let go by professional clubs at maybe 20, 21, and are trying to kickstart uh, their career as well. So we're getting a different type of character different type of player different type of experience um but they they have to be ready uh, like you say the the nurturing aspect is still there and it's still something that we don't want to turn away from because i think it's it's important that players have a chance to to you know to grow in men's football but it's you've got probably less time to nurture the talent and nurture the person than you maybe would have in the league below or the league below that because the the league's more unforgiving mistakes are punished more um, technical and tactical awareness is much more higher. So it just means that um, players probably will not get away with as much as they could in the leagues below and they could have more time to develop and would be let off by some mistakes that, that you can get away with a league below or two leagues below. So definitely you, you need them to be a little bit closer to, not ready-made, but just a little bit closer. You're trying to add that a little bit more onto them uh, so they become even stronger and better players. You've had uh, Junior Caddy with you along the way. How do the two of you work together after such a long time? How are the responsibilities divided? Yeah, we've been working together since um, we both started the academy. And uh, as a, firstly, I think you have to respect the person you're working with. And there's a real healthy respect. Uh, we're family friends. Um, we mix in the same social circles as well. And I think 
that is actually quite important as well, um, especially in maybe the, the bad times as well. But the good thing is um, on a on a more technical level that we we push each other and we ask each other questions and we ask questions of ourselves and stuff like that to to continually grow. Um, so it's a it's not a relationship where we rest on our laurels or we think we've cracked it. We continually try and um, have a growth mindset and and challenge each other to keep doing better and improving. Was Beckenham Town your first senior management job? It was. It was. How it was, was great that? Time. Great time. Uh, we brought over a lot of the boys who had been in our academy, uh, sort of 18, 19-year-olds, quite unknown in terms of senior football. And maybe only had maybe two senior players, two, three senior players around a really young group. But the, the group were very good technically and were willing to sort of listen and learn and stuff like that. And we really, really took that league by storm and lost and I think by goal difference at the end of the season but a really great time for me because I was still able to play some games with the team as well and I enjoyed even playing with them as much as managing them but it was a good good group and um, probably a bit closer in age to me so you know we had we could have a bit of banter a bit more banter and it was just you know it wasn't so uh, personal for the boys they they were sort of young men in a sense so it was a great time um, really good club as well and really, you know, in a sense, the best sort of job to start off with. Were you doing badges and stuff at the time? Yeah, I'd already, I'd already done my, I think, level two. And I was on my level three when I first started at, uh, at the time at Beckenham. So, yeah, I was already on the way to doing badges. You returned to Dulwich Hamlet in 2009 with the team at step four. How did that opportunity come about? I think being the figure that you are around the club, you must have been an obvious choice to an extent. For a short period, I'd done a caretaker role at Fisher Athletic and they were ground sharing. They were attendants mm. at Dulwich at the time and they were in the conference south were quite heavily backed at the time, but then the money had run out and they had asked me to to sort of plug the gap. So I'd done that and kept the team sort of up and stuff like that. And then after that, I went to Beckenham, but the owner at Dulwich at the time had noticed what I'd done at Fisher and then noticed what I'd done at Beckenham. I used to speak to him on and off and his words were that Dulwich were basically just sort of just existing. So um, I approached him at the end of the Beckham season because I knew that that wasn't going to go any further because they wasn't not allowed to sort of go up in terms of the ground grading uh, and just said to him, look, I think I'm ready to, you know, have a go at taking the job. Um, and to be fair, he was um, well up for it. We brought a young team over again to try and emulate what we did at Beckenham, but we took a little bit longer to do it because the level was, again, like we spoke about earlier, was a bit harder and more unforgiving. So it took a little bit of time for us to sort of bed down uh, what we wanted to do but um, with time we started to show some some progress yeah serious progress as well so a few years into that job you reached a couple of promotion playoff finals and missed out how do you go about motivating that team to then continue their progress and get themselves promoted because those setbacks were presumably quite difficult to stomach yeah they were I mean um, our, the first playoff we lost to Leverett we were winning mm. 3-1 with, with only sh- not a lot of time left we ended up losing 4-3 so that was uh, you know having not really been in that situation before that was pretty tough because I felt really sick for the players because um, we'd been on such a long run of doing well we probably weren't supposed to be in that final uh, because we were, I think we are mid-table sort of about four months to go um, and just carrying on winning games so I was so glad for the players because we'd built up a great you know, team spirit and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, we started again and the season after we we was actually a force in the, in the league this that year. We started to win more games than not and we people started to expect us to do well. So we established ourselves in the league that, that year and uh, we got to the playoff and lost again against Bogdor. And um, again, 
that was gutting. And I, at my at that point, I thought, yeah, that was probably that's my last game at the club. That's how I felt at the time. And uh, in the summer, you know, there was a lot of back and forward. Um, we ended up deciding to, to give it another go. And and then we I think we only made two or three tweaks to the team, but one in particular, I think we we signed Erhan Ostuma, mm. um, and he was almost like a talisman, just that little missing link to to the group that we had the year before, and we we then pipped Maidstone to the title. So you get up, you're regularly in the playoffs at step three as well after that, and got promoted that way in 2018. Yeah, into the National League South. That team must have had something about it you know you've, you've to make that jump over a course of years two divisions with the same manager that team mm. must have had some players that you're really fond of oh yeah the tough thing with management is you get attached to players especially ones that have served you really well and, and done so well for the club over a period of time and um there's times where you have to you know not continue with some players and you really want to but you, you know you also have to have that that head on about you know what the next challenge is um, and the team that eventually took us up in the 2018 season uh, we lost um, Alassane who's back with us now to Coventry um, it was a bit of a talisman for us um, we lost a few really key set centre-backs in Anthony Achimpong and Ricky Howes just because we weren't able to to offer them the deals that they probably deserved and other clubs uh, sort of did and because our club was in a bad position we went up <laughs> not even owning our own ground at the time we wasn't we were playing at Tooting. So a lot of a lot of teams that knew that we were destabilised and, and sort of capitalised on, on some of our assets. And it just meant that one or two changes just meant that we, we were a little bit threadbare and we'd lost that continuity to... Because I think that team, maybe one, one or two changes, would have made an impact in the Conference South straight away, to be quite honest with you. But the, the fact that we were unable to, to keep the core of those boys together and then add to that, just made life a little bit harder and obviously you got to a new league and you start you start thinking the league's a lot harder than what it is at times just because you're a little bit disjointed as well you know showing the league a bit too much respect yeah at times at times yeah what sort of pool of players are you looking at when you get to step two level because you've had um, a career with Dulwich where you would have been having a lot of local boys in in the side do you start looking much much further um, afield Uh, not particularly I just think Step two is just a little bit more serious where you've got players who have to make that little bit more sacrifice personally to be assets at that get at that level. Uh, the fitness levels are improved, uh, which means that the players would have to take a lot of responsibility in terms of making sure they stay fit and recover well and stuff like that. And you just have to try and sign better mentalities, not, not so much better players, technically better players, but just players that, take more responsibility in looking after themselves. Um, that's what I found. And what I've found is that it isn't so much about the quality of player. It's more about the player that's willing to take the sacrifice to looking after their body as well, to being able to recover, to play game after game after game at a much more intense pace. Obviously, quality is important and you, the quality is probably better. But I think it's just that that professionalism has gone up a little bit and you're looking at players still in the same area and maybe further afield but just that ones that have got that application to to be able to do that. How about you? What is different about your job as a manager from a step four to a step two day to day? Organisation uh, has to be much better in terms of uh, preparing for opposition. Uh, everyone in the league has videos of the last opponent's game. So you're, the game you're about to, to play, you you would got their last game and vice versa. You then have the opportunity to do some analysis on it, send it to your team and show the team, then prepare throughout the week um, leading up to that game. So I think prep 
Yeah, we've done it a lot on the A license courses, but when you do it in real life and with real people, <laughs> that's when it becomes uh, a lot more not so much challenging, but you know, all the fairy goes out the window and you have to mm. do get you have to get it right, you know. So I think that part has been good because it's it's, it's enjoyable. Um, you realise that every manager's doing their best to get that little extra yard and get that little bit of advantage. And you know, if you if you're lazy. Uh, your team could lose just because you're lazy and you haven't done your preparation and you ain't done done your research on all the, all, who all the players are and what you could possibly do to to get a win. You know, how often are you training on a typical week during the season? Well, if we had a Saturday to Saturday with no midweek, we can train three mornings. Um, we've got a young group in this year and boys have just been released from professional clubs, so the step to going into mornings is pretty ideal for them. Whereas they'd probably struggle with doing a, a night session because it's uh, very different to what they've been used to. So. We've got a group that, you know, we spoke about the type of mentality. You've got uh, guys who sort of see themselves as footballers first in the main. And so we're doing three mornings. But very rarely do we have three mornings in a week. Uh, we're playing Saturday, Tuesday. Obviously, we know the pandemic, what it's done to the league and the, the fixtures are sort of back to back. So we may have two sessions a week. And those sessions are really very light because we're just recovering and preparing for the next game. So we don't really get as much contact with, with the group uh, and time to do stuff, uh, put things into practice as much as you'd like because you don't want to flog the boys because they've got to get ready for another game. You know, it takes a bit of time to recover from a, a, a 90 minute game at this level. The pandemic has kind of split step one and step two off from the rest of non league in a lot of ways. So you've played a lot more mm. football than the rest of us. How has the pandemic affected your progress as a, as a club over the last nine, 10 months? I think if you look at it on the business side of things, it's been very difficult for us to make a clear plan because there's not been a lot of great direction uh, for us to follow from. You know, not knowing whether we'd be funded if there was no no crowds. That was very, very late decisions being told for us. Then we've got the crowds back uh, last week and then it looks like we're not going to have the crowds again. So budgeting for, for a group of players is very difficult and planning ahead is very difficult. Venue hire has been very difficult in terms of training because obviously facilities and stuff like that, no one doesn't really want to risk COVID uh, breakout. So it's been very up and down, but I think um, as a manager, you've got to learn to basically navigate these things um, and not make a big deal out of them make, and basically make the best of the scenario and also make your players not make excuses for the scenarios we're in. Because uh, to be quite honest with you, every team faces them. It's who faces them the best, you know. Dulwich Hamlet being one of the best supported teams in non-league is uh, going to be a big hit, isn't it? In in terms of playing behind closed doors, you must notice mm. that week by week. Definitely. I mean, uh, we probably got the biggest hit uh, to a few clubs' amusements uh, in terms of not being able to to have our support in. But you know, I think uh, the, the club were very brave. Uh, and still set out in a way that we, we never spent loads of money this year uh, in terms of our budget, but we still gave a budget which was um, going to give us a chance to compete in the league without knowing what you know what funding we were going to get or if we were going to get any supporters in at all. So bravery from the club was, was great and very resourceful as well. Um, and, you know, t t to be fair, uh, if we do get the, the supporters back on a permanent basis, we know that, you know, in the long run, we'll have the last laugh in a sense. Are you happy with um, in negotiations with players this year about bringing them into the club, keeping them at the club and so on? Has the players' attitude been understanding of what's been going on? It has, actually. I think a lot of players have, at the start, they you know obviously try and get to the best club and the highest levels possible and probably get the best pay packet they can probably get. Agents alike. 
And I think once they realise the message is pretty consistent from every club that, you know, it's a bit different uh, times and the money isn't probably so easy and stuff like that. Players screw their loaf quickly and agents screw their loaf quickly and good agents advise players, look, get yourself in the right club and, and don't worry about the money so much and just worry about yourself being relevant and playing and doing well. So, you know, when, when maybe there's a bit more money to share around, you, you, you know, you'd be one of the first ones people will be knocking, looking for, you know. You've hinted at this already. Uh, the club was exiled for a while and playing at Tooting and Mitcham. Tell us about that experience as, as the manager, because we know that things off the pitch haven't been as smooth as they might be. But from the outside, that was a bit of a shocking piece of news, to be fair. To be honest, it was a culmination of probably my whole tenure at Dulwich. It happened. There's been so much upheaval in the background going on since since I've been the manager. Um, we had, you know, we had the gates locked and several times, the stadium gates locked and several times, and then someone coming and bailing us out at the last minute, and no one sort of found out about it publicly. But this this sort of unrest was happening, and we always kept it away from the squads and the players we we'd been managing. But this time it had overspilled, and you know we, we had the feeling that this was going to overspill and it was going to get get a little bit nasty and our main thing as a club was to try and make sure that the players always their, their wages always met and we was always able to provide games for them them actually getting up and being promoted and maintaining their form was remarkable from that that group uh, literally um great mental strength from them not knowing if they were going to get paid it in a month and not not putting that as you know as the be all and end all and, and putting their you know, achievements at first uh, ahead of that was unbelievable. I mean, the club met met the wage somehow, somehow. They always do. And, um, you know, the players weren't let down in that respect, but they didn't know and they went into it with courage. And it was a tough, tough time, but it was a time that I'll always look, look back on with uh, fondness because uh, those players showed me, you know, what football really should be about. You know, at the end of the day, I think everyone starts out in football because you're passionate about the game and because you want to achieve and do really well. And I think sometimes yeah, the generation we're in now sometimes lose sight of what you're actually in the game for. And and some of them are losing careers because of that, because they lost the sight of it, you know. So that team I look back, I look back on and uh, with fondness because they, they did remarkably well. And, and the directors of the club at the time, Tom Cullen and Liam Hickey, were were remarkable, very, very good, hardworking, along with many other volunteers at the club at the time. Uh, they done a, a, a great job to keep the club alive. It ended well with promotion. Did you hit the ground running when you moved to Imperial Fields? No, we had a bit of a, a, a dodgy time there, to be honest with you. When we we didn't, it was weird because the pitch. No disrespect, it, the pitch wasn't playing like like Hill. It was. <laughs> yeah, I've played on both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you probably know yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't great, and uh, that was one of the only times the players were sort of half making excuses because uh, they'd have bad touches and they'd look over to us and go, "Oh, that." It was the pitch, do you know what I mean? And we were going, come on, get on with it. But in fairness, there was a big difference and it took us a few games to get going um, over there. And then once we did, we, you know, we, we got ourselves over the line with some really good performances and some good, you know, good bits of determination from the squad and we finally got there, you know. There's a bit of a rivalry between the two clubs. How did you find life with those landlords? Um, I had played for two in for a really brief period and I, did, I didn't really get the... the the sense of a rivalry when I played for Tooting. Uh, when I came back to Dulwich, it was made abundantly clear that <laughs> the two clubs don't get along. <laughs> and um, and they reminded me that I got sent off for Dulwich in a game against Tooting. And to be fair, it was a bit of a spicy game. But um, when I went to Tooting, there was no sort of real talk of it. So I, I, I forgot all about it. And then when I went back as a manager, I think we were doing 
we weren't doing that great this season, but we played two and they was like, look, we need to win this game. I was thinking, so what? Like, we need to win every game. They were like, no, 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 no. We need to win this game. And I, and I got to realise uh, there is a real big uh, rivalry there. And it's great, actually. Those games are really good. Good for the players. We've had some good games against them in one and with some bad games. And the players really start to hear uh, what, the, what the fans think of them if we don't perform. Um, which is very rare for Dallas Hamlet because the supporters are very, very good. Uh, probably too good, to be honest with you. Very good and very supportive of, of the team at all times, really. Tell me about that first game back at Champion Hill. Yeah, great. We played uh, Eastbourne, which was our last opponent, actually, um, at home. But yeah, we played Eastbourne. It was a great, great day just to see everyone back out there. The pitch wasn't great, but no one really cared. We, we ended up winning. I think Nyron could have scored two goals. I know he scored a header which was rare, um, but it was great to, you know, to see everyone back. Everyone seemed to be happy and smiling. The community basically really, really uh, benefited from us being back and you could see that. So, yeah, it was great. It was great, great feeling, to be honest with you. So um, all that fighting and all that, you know, back and forward politics that had nothing to do with really football. And it was great just to be back playing football at, at college. Is it surreal now to think back at a time when you were playing that short period away? It is, actually. To be honest with you, it's something that, you know, you'd heard threats about this stuff beforehand, but you just thought, oh, all right, whatever, it never happened. But when it actually did, um, I can only imagine what the supporters who'd been at the club for many years must have been feeling. They must have been thinking their club's going to, you know, not be existing um, because the threat was very real. You know, it was very, very real. But in a sense, I think it's made this club stronger. You know, it's galvanised the, the club and the community to make sure that, you know, this never really happens to the club again. And I, and I think the club was always in a position where it was a bit vulnerable to, to that sort of thing happening since I've been there. Um, and I feel like uh, the amount of people who have stepped in to help and stay on board, I don't think the club will be in that position again. And I'm, I'm hoping they never will be, you know. Do you consider Dulwich Hamlet to be a fashionable club? Yeah, I've heard it being described that way. Um, I mean, for me, I don't really get involved in the labels. I've heard a lot of labels be uh, attributed to the club and the support and stuff like that but for me we get the local community come down they come out in numbers and support and they support really well and our job is to try and do as best as we can for them and win games and that's as far as I really take it I mean I've heard a lot of the you know the different labels that you know people label the club and the support and to be honest with you I, I don't think you can sort of put one label on, on the club we've got very very uh, diverse type of crowd uh, different backgrounds you know different everything really and one thing I would say is this you do get a community feel when you go to the club you, you get a, a sense of belonging um, I've had family and friends come and watch games and, and they love the experience you know so I think that's the, the, the key thing When things get back to normal what are the ambitions of the club over the next few years? I think um the fact that we got we won the planning application if we can just see that through and get a new stadium uh, and this is me talking more as a Dallas Hamlet support I think that will give the, the club stability Forgetting what level the club is playing at, just the stability of knowing that uh, everything's in, in the club's hands. Um, the club can then start to make plans beyond one season. Uh, they can engage the community a lot more uh, away from the football club, uh, or sorry, the football pitch. Because I, I think, uh, you know, the club has got such a pull that it's able to influence so many people in the community. Um, so I think it'll be a really big thing if we actually get to the point where the club has uh, a new stadium because I think it will affect many people in the community obviously the, the main thing the football club is is a football club and a football team and then you know I think it even gives the club an opportunity to to go up a level or two as well and, and compete but um, I mean that's the cherry on the cake but I think if it can influence many many lives in the in the community youth 
and even adults, I think that's even more powerful. Are there any players that you've brought through over the 11 years now who've moved up two, three, four divisions and you can look at as a real source of pride in your ability as a coach and as a manager? Sometimes they move two leagues and then they move again and move again. Um, so I don't think I can take the credit for for that. I think we've had a, a part to play in, in their journey, uh, moving from Dulwich to the next step, whatever that may be. But to be quite honest with you, the real work comes from those players. Um, they're the ones who have got to continually challenge themselves um, and continually ask questions of themselves to keep getting better and keep improving in order to stay at those levels or even go go beyond. So, yeah, definitely you get a sense of pride when you see, like, obviously at the moment, currently we've got Ethan doing remarkably well at Brentford. He's, the, he's one of the current boys who are doing really well. And, you know, we spent a lot of time in Ethan's development. He stayed at Dulwich longer than people thought he should and would. But, you know, him getting those games at the age he was, I think has made him so much... Uh, game ready and battle hardened that you know he's been able to you know with his personality as well been able to just keep kicking on but you watch Ethan and you and you, are, you do get a sense of pride and you you know an achievement but to be quite honest with you he has to take all the all the, the real credit because he's the one who's like I said he's been able to keep taking the challenges keep learning keep growing and that's that's the real big that's the real big challenge you know how about you? Have you had any interest from clubs higher up? Oh, actually, they had a few more offers in this period. Um, the period when we was in the Eastman League didn't really get much at all. Uh, we had maybe one from a National League team when we was in Eastman, but um, didn't really get much at all. And um, I, in the first year going up, I had three or four. And my decision was not to leave the club because of the position the club was in, because I just felt that we needed some stability as a club and it would be the wrong time to move on. Um, and this summer and even last year, we had a, a bit of interest as well. But um, to, you know, to, to be honest with you, I think there'll be a time when obviously I move on and the club will continue to, to grow without me. Uh, that time, I don't think it's come. The, the opportunities weren't quite right. And I think the timing wasn't quite right. And um, whilst I'm at the club, I'm you know here to really see if I can continually help the club grow uh, on and off the pitch. And we'll see see where that takes us from there. You will be aware of the kind of things that we say as fans about non-league. We like the sense of community, the feeling of belonging, all of that stuff. Does that reflect how players and managers respond to the experience as well? To be honest with you, I, I think players, I don't know if they try not to, but they don't dial in too much to supporters. And I think they probably should do so, but they don't. I think they probably don't focus so much on that. They just focus on doing really well for themselves. As a manager, I think it's sensible for most managers to understand the culture of the club, culture of, of the level that we're playing at, just so you can then pass that onto the onto the players. So I took a lot more interest in, you know, the club and supporters and what they think and feel and the culture as soon as I took over. But as a manager, you do because you understand that you're trying to defend these supporters and you're trying to give them a bit of entertainment and they want it done the right way. And players speaking to supporters are important. And, you know, without that sort of hierarchy of maybe professional football, it becomes a little bit uh, strained and, you know, the professionals are over there and the supporters are over the other side. I think um, in non-league football, you get that bit of engagement where everyone's sort of together, really, in a sense, and there's no real hierarchy or anything like that, you know. Well, you've done a terrific job over the last decade and a bit. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed meeting Gavin, you'll like our other episodes too. Don't forget to subscribe to the show if you haven't already and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Humans of Non-League, it's a Sphinx Football production. Thanks for listening.